Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 12 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. I'm Kareem Farah, co-founder and chief executive officer of the Modern Classrooms Project. And today, our episode is a little bit different because I'm joined by a very special guest. Uh, The person that has joined us today is someone I spend every single day of my life these days working with. We built this organization from the ground up, and it is going to be a joy to spend about an hour chatting with him. So our special guest is Rob Barnett. Uh, Rob Barnett is the co-founder of the Modern Classrooms Project. We built this organization together, and we are excited to continue to lead it as we work with educators across the nation and the world. So first things first, Rob, can you introduce yourself to everyone and tell us your story? Please just share a little bit about sort of what brought you to education, how you got to this point, how we started collaborating. Give us the full, unrestricted Rob background. Well, I won't give you the full unrestricted, but I will... uh... I will give a little introduction. First, I just want to say I'm thrilled to be here on the podcast. I love that this is something, Kareem, uh, that you've taken such a lead on, and I'm I'm really glad to be speaking to to all of our listeners. As Kareem said, my name is Rob. I founded the Modern Classrooms Project along with Kareem about two and a half years ago. I'm originally from Washington, D.C. I grew up about a mile from the Capitol building and actually just a few blocks from Eastern High School, which is the high school where Kareem and I first met. We were both math teachers. We were both struggling to figure out how to meet our students' needs in a in a challenging environment. And I think, Kareem, I could tell uh, right away that you were someone who, you know, you were someone who wanted the best for your students and also wasn't scared to take risks and try new things and experiment a little bit which is what I had been doing myself just to try to, to, try to survive, frankly, um, as a teacher at Eastern. I, I live now in Geneva in Switzerland. Um, I've moved there a few years ago uh, with my wife just to, to have a bit of an adventure, but it has been amazing really to be connected to work that I believe in so much in Washington, D.C., and now to see to see Modern Classrooms Project spread far and wide to all the places where where you all are listening to the show. So yeah, I think I think uh, I think that's me, and I'm I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we're obviously excited to be here, and it's, it's kind of interesting to be recording a podcast with you because we speak every single day at length and have email exchanges all day long. So it's fun to actually kind of take a moment to step back and think about our sort of journey and story to this point. Um, you know, it, it's so interesting, too, to think about our parallels. It's kind of wild to think that we went to the same high school, actually, as kids. Um, you know, like, I didn't even know you at the time. Um, we were in different grades. And it's crazy that we've actually met each other teaching in a totally different environment many years later in, in a math team meeting. Um, and that's sort of where this all got sparked up. So it's a very, very interesting journey we've had. And um, it's just the beginning, hopefully. Um, so, you know, one thing I want to start with is really a lot of people don't know that in many ways you're you were the engineer of the creation of the model. You had been the first to sort of dig deep into creating these alternative structures in a classroom that would shake up the traditional approach. Um, in many ways, I learned from you, um, took what you were doing and sort of adjusted it and made it my own. So can you talk a little bit about when you started to realize something was really wrong with sort of the traditional approach to teaching, um, like what was the moment for you that said something's got to change? 
Well, first, I think I think you're giving me too much credit. I think it's true that I was teaching in this way when you came to Eastern, but I had certainly seen the ideas of blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning elsewhere beforehand. I had seen them with friends and other colleagues in D.C., and I think really there's quite a history going back over a hundred years of people thinking about how can we change the way that students are educated. Even if you think about a one-room schoolhouse, in some way that's a more self-paced environment than the, the classroom settings that we're used to. And if you think about Steve Jobs and Apple putting computers into classrooms, there's a long history of this. But um, I think for me, I joined this sort of movement uh, in my first year teaching at Eastern, and when I think I realized it was needed was I, I taught a first period pre-calculus class, and there were 21 students in the class. And sometimes at the start of class, there would be three students in the room. And over those 45 minutes of class, you would see maybe by the end of class, I'd have 10 students, 15 students. So students are arriving at all different points within the class, and some students are absent. And if you think about how can you actually get those students to learn? How can you help students who arrive late? How can you help students who missed three days? Not through any fault of their own, by the way. Many of them are traveling all across the city or taking care of siblings. I mean, there's a million reasons why students miss class. And then also, how can you actually teach and challenge the students who are there every day, ready to learn and don't want to keep getting interrupted and held back? And so I think now we talk a lot about blended self-paced mastery-based learning being a great way to educate. For me, it was really a, a way to survive and a way to feel like I had something for every student in that class. There was no way that a lecture was going to cut it. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is for you, I think it was first period, you talk a lot about this idea of like, what do you do when most of your kids are not even there? And that was certainly a pressing problem for me. And I was, you know, one floor down. But for me, the most pronounced part, and it still was survival, was this idea of how impossible it was to stimulate consistent engagement during the lecture. Like whether kids were there or not, whoever was there when I was lecturing, it was just a disaster. And it wasn't necessarily that like, you know, the room was crazy and you would walk in there and there'd be problems everywhere. It was more just like I would look at my kids and you could just see so much disengagement. High performing students that are there every day, heads are down. You know, other students completely lost just saying like, I don't know what you're talking about. Please clarify further. And me just sitting at the front being like, I legitimately don't know what to do next. And, you know, I, I figured it out the first couple of days I was at Eastern. I was like, whew, this is going to be challenging. But I was like, I'm sure I'll get around. And then three weeks in, four weeks in, I was sort of sitting around. And I was like, I have made no gains. Um, my relationships with students, which usually I think is my strength, has started to deteriorate. My frustration has started to peak. Um, I know my students are struggling with issues that are way larger than, you know, anything I'm personally facing. But I have no idea how to meet their needs. Um, and I remember this, this all kind of started for me because you and I were in a math team meeting um, and I was in the meeting and I was sort of looking around and it was one of those moments that I feel like educators have all the time where they're in their team meetings and they're just like, is anyone else struggling like I am? I was new to the building and I kind of just looked around and I was like, does anyone else, you know, experience the problems that I'm experiencing or I, am I different here? And you basically said to me, like, I certainly have. And 
come check out my classroom. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of when I got to see your classroom and you using instructional videos and you using elements of self-pacing and mastery-based grading. And that kind of sparked this light bulb for me. I went home that night and started recording my first instructional videos and there's history since then. So it's very interesting how we both have a clear kind of understanding of where the problem was created and what was impossible about it. But I think what you and I both agree on is teachers face an incredible amount of unconquerable tasks. And you and I both looked at those and said, we can't continue with the status quo um, or we won't feel successful and our students aren't going to learn, which I think is a fascinating reality for so many educators. Yeah, I think I think sometimes we think about a difficult class like this where students are behind or ahead or not there and we just think, well, if I just work hard enough, uh, I can reach every student. But that's 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 so hard and that's such a burden to put on teachers really it's just such a challenge when you have students you know who who have who have such varying needs i think about that first period class a lot because i remember students would show up uh 10 minutes before the end of class and i would be frustrated with these students and then i would go home and i would think how could i be frustrated at these students who are making an effort to come to school from across the city you know they're getting to my class they want to learn and the first thing they're met with is my frustration. And I think my frustration came from a place of thinking, I'm not going to be able to do my job successfully unless the student is here on time. And so I was angry at the student. That's obviously not productive. And what I had to change my thinking to was, how can I create an environment where every student learns as much as possible, whether they're there early on time or 10 minutes before the bell. And I think if we think about how are we really going to reach in this country or this world, the most vulnerable students, whatever solution we have has to address those students who show up 10 minutes before the end of class, because that is a reality uh, that teachers are going to face. And the answer isn't just work harder, just stay longer after school, just you know, pull something out of a hat for these students. The issue is to think about how do we change the job of a teacher such that each of those students has the opportunity to learn. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. You know, ultimately, teachers are constantly told to just work harder. And I think it was clear to me that I was the, the marginal benefit, the gain I was getting from working harder and using a traditional approach was not worth it. It was like, and frankly, I could have worked 150 hours a week, but had I still stuck with that same approach, I don't think learning would have been much better. And I think you probably identified that same reality. And I, and I love that, that you mentioned this idea of like you feeling frustrated with the kids that probably needed the most support and were the kids who, who deserve the least amount of frustration. It was like these kids that were walking into our classrooms, potentially experiencing trauma, just like dealing with circumstances at home that made it so difficult to get to the school. But because of the way our classrooms were set up traditionally, like they were creating problems for us. And what a terrible feeling for a child to be like, hey, FYI, not only are your problems not enough at home, but you're actually bothering me as your educator when you show up late. Like we can't create systems like that and think that we're going to create transformational education for, for our students who are farthest um, from opportunity. So that's huge. So Rob, talk to me a little bit about how you arrived 
at what you arrived, right? It's one thing to realize the problem, which I think educators across the country are spending day in, day out recognizing countless issues. And we, we've identified a few of many, and there are innovators across this country that are constantly creating incredible solutions and trying to scale them. So can you explain a little bit around sort of your thought process at creating a solution to the problems that you've described, this idea of chronically absent students or students showing up late, um, real issues with engagement and making sure every kid is challenged. Cool. We know that's the problem, but how did you arrive at a solution and what was your thought process to get there? I think the main way I got there was trial and error. I, I remember as I was as I was thinking about what I could say on this podcast, I was thinking about the first time I tried to record a video, I had an old digital camera and I brought it to my room and I put it on a stack of textbooks and I hit record and I was standing up at the whiteboard trying to explain something and then I made a mistake and the camera fell off. It just, it didn't work, but it was a step along the way towards doing something better. And I think that I was fortunate because there were other people that I saw, um, friends of mine or colleagues in, in our school or someone that I met at a district PD who just gave me little pieces and little ideas. And I was always sort of searching around for what can make a small difference in my classroom. I remember the first time somebody showed me Edpuzzle, it was like a light bulb went off in my head because I realized that I didn't have to ask one student at a time a question while I was lecturing. I could ask every student every question and how powerful that would be. And I wouldn't have to put students on the spot anymore to, to call them out when, you know, when I, when I wanted to engage a student. Every student would be engaged also in a safer way where it's no problem to make a mistake when you're watching an Ed Puzzle video. Of course, that's, that's one small piece of the puzzle. And so I tried different ways of progress tracking. I tried different ways of checking mastery. It was just a a process of small improvements, trial, a lot of error. And Kareem, I think that's why it became important when you were there, because if you have someone else that you can bounce ideas off of, uh, it just becomes so much, so much easier to find what works. You have twice as many people trying something and you have twice as many ideas and you're just going to arrive at a solution much more quickly. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, ultimately what happened was you were doing these practices and I came in, in in many ways, like you were my friend who who put me on to new ideas and showed me new things. So I walked into your classroom um, when you had invited me in. At that stage, I was incredibly frustrated um, with my own level of success as an educator at that time. And I was really grasping for air and trying to find new ways to meet students' needs. I, I remember that day when I walked into your classroom and it was such an interesting process. And I think you know, it speaks to sort of us having built a customizable model where educators should be looking at other people's practices, but then ultimately making them your own. And, you know, I walked into your class and was just astonished when I first just watched your behaviors. That was the first thing I did was I walked into the class and I just tracked you. I kept my eyes on you and I was like, what is Rob doing in this class? Because ultimately the reason I was in there was I couldn't figure out what to do with myself in my classroom. And the first thing I realized was like, Rob is really relaxed in here. 
Like that is just fundamentally not something I've experienced since I started working at Eastern. And then I started to piece together, well, part of the reason you're relaxed is because you're not lecturing anymore and you're using instructional videos. And then I started to think, well, how can I take the elements of this that you created that I really like and make it my own? And what parts would I change, right? Like what elements would I codify differently? What components would I, would I do differently in the physical space? Um, and it was just such a fascinating exercise. And then I remember you had come to my classroom shortly after. I had actually gotten the model off the ground and I, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like did a similar exercise where you came in and my classroom actually looked quite different from yours. If you remember, I feel like you and I ran very different modern classrooms, um, but actually had very similar principles, which I think is something we value deeply in this organization is that like you walk into a modern classroom in any state or in any country, and it's clear that it's a modern classroom. But it's also clear that it's quite different from the last one you went to, which I think is a fascinating element of the model um, and something I think we value deeply. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I always heard when I was becoming a teacher is you have to be you. You have to be authentic with the students. But that's challenging if you're asked to do something that doesn't fit who you are and the way you communicate. I don't think I'm a good lecturer. I'm a terrible disciplinarian. With students. And so when I was asked to lecture and discipline, I didn't do a good job and my students didn't respond. And so when I was able to get off the stage a little bit, I think I was able to be more authentic with the students and connect with the students. And certainly this is something that I saw in your classroom is just the the extent to which you were really connecting with students both about the material, but the way that you knew the students as in a friendly way, in a loving way. I think that was something that was a missing element in my class that I didn't realize. I thought, well, students are getting the math. I love the math. I love to challenge them on the content. Were my students feeling supported in the warm way that you support students? I don't know that they were. And so I had something to learn from you that made 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 my teaching much better. And I think that that's been true as I've seen other teachers use this model that I can always learn or pick something up from another teacher. And I still feel in some ways that I and we as an organization are still doing this piecing together process. I think modern classroom is great, but I think there are ways in which it can be improved. And if we see a technique that is better or a new tool or some new idea, then I love that. And I want to use that. I want to incorporate it because we have, we have so much to learn from each other as teachers. Yeah. And it's such an interesting concept. And I hope our listeners know this and I hope you, you all will continue to learn this about our organization, but like we're basically just constantly mining practices from our implementers to be able to include in our work and share with others. We try to and strive to be a movement uh, fundamentally because we believe that the folks that are generating the greatest innovation are the educators themselves. You were doing it. I was doing it. The first aid teachers we ever trained were doing it. And now the hundreds and thousands of educators that we're supporting nationwide and globally are doing it. And every day um, I see a new cool innovative practice on social media from an educator using modern classrooms practices or one of our mentees will submit something amazing. And it's so inspiring. I know every day 
that I would be a better modern classrooms educator if I was still in the classroom because of what I've learned from our community. So I hope everyone listening and everyone who's you know involved in the Modern Classrooms Project model understands that you are actively contributing to our work getting better. Um, and we're committed to doing that day in and day out, using what you all are doing to make this work better. So I think it's a fascinating storyline. And I think it's fascinating because it, it's actually how we built it together initially, is we learned from each other. Um, we codified the model. But the, then the next phase was really thinking about scaling. And I want to hear from you a little bit about sort of what you thought was hard about scaling. Um, and I know this is something that you and I have collaborated on since day one. Um, but ultimately, educators are doing really fascinating and creative things in classrooms across the country. I often get this question, like, you know, how do you take an idea and make it into something that other people get to use? So kind of what's your perspective on how we took this idea, you and I, and then made it an idea that was actually digestible and scalable and now is reaching a lot of educators? I think it's a great question, and I think it it hasn't been easy, even though now I can look back and say it makes sense that practices which teachers can adapt and customize would spread. I think it took us a while to figure out how to communicate that and practice that. I know when we first started the Modern Classrooms Project, I think it was hard for us to articulate how we were different from other people in this space. I think there are so many people who are approaching the challenges of education, and there are so many people who think technology has a role to play, and sometimes that can leave people a little jaded. Oh, is this just another piece of technology that's going to be the next big thing? And I tried another technology. It didn't, it didn't work for me. And so I think what we really needed to define for ourselves before we could grow in the way that we have is that actually we're not about technology. We're not an ed tech organization. We're really a human organization that's about teachers and supporting teachers and learning from teachers. And I think that teachers are hungry for that because teachers understand that they are the experts in their students. They know their classrooms. They don't want to be told what to do. They want to do the same process that you and I did of exploring tools and finding what works. And so I think once we were able to get that message across that we're not a program, we're not a mandate, we're a set of practices and, and in some ways a toolkit, that's when we really became something that people could pick up and use. And I'm thrilled when I see people using the tools in new and creative ways, because we we got the ball rolling and they're really pushing it down the field. Yeah. Something I, you know, when we have meetings all the time, I love how you describe it as steering the ship, right? It's not that we're really all that much like in the driver's seat. We're not really prescribing all that much. We're really just trying to generate as much content as possible and build training materials and training structures that are digestible. And we want to steer the ship in the direction we think is generally correct, but ultimately the true drivers, the true engines are the educators themselves. That can be the, the educators using in the free course. That can be folks on social media. Those can be you know, mentees and mentors supporting educators in school and district partnerships. They are the actual engine and the drivers that are really pushing the organization forward. And we are kind of staying back and saying, okay, how, what directionally do folks need help with, which I think is really fascinating. And, you know, one of the things that I think that speaks to, which has been a core element of our work really since day one, and I don't actually know why you and I decided this. I think it was just 
our personal experience being educators. But we were committed to not forcing our model on anyone. Um, I actually can't remember, Rob, like, did we decide that early on in the organization? What prompted us to only focus on educators who wanted as opposed to taking like sort of a top down approach? I think that decision comes from our experience as teachers and from feeling like we are the people that knew our students the best. And sometimes you can see an approach. Someone can tell you to try something and it's going to work. And sometimes, you know, this isn't going to work because this isn't what fits me and my students. And maybe it doesn't fit my personality. As I said, we have to be authentic as teachers. And so as, as a teacher, I personally felt like I didn't like being told what to do. I was a hardworking and committed professional who wanted to improve on my own. And that's what I wanted to give other teachers. I thought if I'm telling them what to do, it might not work and it won't help them actually achieve their goal of educating students. I think this is something that we've we've believed since the beginning. And I think we've had challenging moments where we feel like we can grow faster if we just impose ourselves somewhere. We can access more teachers. We can we can you know bring in more customers. But I think at our core we have to stay teacher driven because Ultimately, the teachers who are going to get the most out of our work and make the most transformative change for their students are teachers who come to come to us and come to our practices because they know that this model will work. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me think of how it actually got off the ground, because I still remember to this day, you know, what ended up happening was you had moved to Switzerland. I continued to do the model. Uh, D.C. Public Schools gave me the award for innovative educator. And it was at that moment that I, you know, had seen this sort of energy from a, kind of like a coalition of the willing. Like there were people emailing me and asking me, like, Kareem, what are you doing in your classroom? How do you recreate this? And I remember emailing you and saying, Rob, like, there's something here. Like, I f- there's something brewing. Um, we need to share this. And I don't want to do this alone. I want to do this with you. Let's figure out a way to do this. And my first step was in like its most classic form was like going room by room at Eastern and just asking people. You know, I literally went every single floor. I went to every teacher I thought would be interested. And I said, hey, are you interested in learning this model? And I think it, that that feeling of like, I want to find the folks that want to do this. And I, you know, at that year, we arrived at these eight teachers that we had picked. They were our, kind of our pilot fellows that we were going to train on the model. But it was so critical to me that the folks that were going to learn this wanted to do it. And I think to some degree, as you said, you know, it it stemmed from this general feeling like we didn't like when we were prescribed something, we were less inspired when we were prescribed something. But also, I think you and I really want to be able to work with the folks that want to be involved with our work. Like I didn't want to sit in a room with eight teachers that were kind of reluctantly required to do something and weren't necessarily, you know, convinced that it was actually the most effective use of their time. We find that we grow as an organization the most when we're surrounded by the folks that also want to be involved. And it doesn't mean we don't like critics. Like some of those educators were were quite critical of some of the practices and certainly questioned our work. But they were really committed to this idea that there's got to be a better way to teach. And there's some really, really promising ideas um, baked into this work. So um, I think that that exercise is huge. And when people ask me, like, how do you scale something? How did you build an organization? I always say, like, First, you have to focus on the folks that want it. Like, don't take your product, your idea, and just force it on folks that don't necessarily want it or don't want to be exposed to it. 
because A, it'll make the product obviously be worse. Like folks won't think it's very impressive, but B, you're not necessarily generating the intended impact. Like if you are truly a nonprofit that wants to make a difference, then focus on the folks that are ready for it and want to make a difference with it. So I think that exercise was you know, constantly fascinating. I think in education, you have a lot of stakeholders. And as an organization, we have a lot of stakeholders as well. But I think we are best when we think about how can we really serve the teacher? And I know at one point we were thinking about our, our online course. Should we make it free? We certainly put a lot of work into it. Maybe it would make more sense to charge for it. But then I thought, if I'm a teacher and I see this course, am I going to want to pay for this? I, I don't think so. And so it was very important to me that every resource we create, we provide for free to teachers because teachers don't want you know half of what we have and then pay. Teachers are looking to accomplish their goals and mission, which is to better serve young people. And so if we can make all of our decisions with the teacher in mind, I think we, I think we aren't going to go wrong. Yeah, no, and that's so true. And it's so important that we were educators for so many years because I think it's really easy to make the wrong decision there to charge $5 for the free course, um, you know, to build a structure, say, hey, it's not that expensive. So, you know, this is this is how we'll work. But ultimately, like, you have to take the general perspective, which I think we have, that we want to generate as much impact as possible and in an unrestricted way. The things we charge for are literal time. Like, we can't create mentors out of thin air. Those people need to be paid. Those are also teachers that are hardworking, so we need to charge for that. But when we had created that free course, it was like, the only reason we'd be charging for it is just to generate some income, but like it's there, it's ready and people could be using it. So why restrict people's access? And I think that kind of speaks to a, why we founded a nonprofit, but B our goals as an organization is to never hide information from people. And when we do you know, need to charge for something, it's, it's actually because of time. Um, and it's the time that usually our teachers are actually putting in to generate impact, which is super interesting. Now I do want to talk a little bit about where we're going. You know, I, I think, we as much as possible want to be communicating to the movement as frequently as possible. And it's kind of why we created this podcast. You know, Zach had another teacher, implementer and mentor said, hey, I really think we should do a podcast. I thought it was a brilliant idea. And here we are. Um, and I think it's always important that we inform our educators and our stakeholders where we want to go directionally. So I'm actually I kind of interested. I mean, I know we talk about this all the time, but can you kind of summarize to me like, What's the vision over time? And I don't mean like the you know vision on our website of the organization, but I mean like where do you want to see the Modern Classrooms project at the end of this all, if there even is an end? Um, how would you kind of talk through that and describe that? I think we have tools that any and every teacher can use. And so I think the most important thing that the Modern Classrooms project can do is just put these tools in front of as many people as possible, and then figure out how to support those people in using them effectively. I think there are teachers all around the world in all sorts of schools who can benefit from this model, and I just want all of them to have the opportunity to do that. Another thing that I find just, just really inspiring about this work is when I see teachers that we've trained who have become leaders in their own communities. I was talking to two teachers in Australia last week. They're now telling their colleagues about the model. We have teachers that we've trained that have said, I want to write an article and share something that I'm doing. 
And really, Kareem, you and I are just teachers who felt like we had something to share. And that something to share has become the Modern Classrooms Project. I think there are a thousand other teachers in our course now who have something equally valuable to share. And so if they can look at what we've done and they can share their own ideas with the world, then that's going to contribute as well. So I see as an organization that we're pushing this model forward to people who can use it. And at the same time, I think as a movement, we're having people who are, you know, spawning ideas off of what we're doing and, and making things even better in their own schools and communities. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And, and you know, for me, when I think about the future of the organization, ultimately, I want educators to wake up, to go to summer trainings, uh, to go to pre-service week, to be in their master's program, learning how to teach and just know that there isn't sort of a one style approach to teaching that everyone has to learn, right? That's not to say you pick the modern classrooms project model. And I think it speaks to the fact that we don't force our model on anyone. I'm not, I would never say something like, I think every single educator should and has to be using the modern classrooms project model in a dream world. I think that's actually quite silly. But to me, I just want every educator to know that there are alternative ways that you can deliver information to students, inspire students to learn. You can create flexible pacing and you can ultimately push students towards mastery. And our instructional model is one of those options and that the resources and the tools, everything is available for you to learn it if you're inspired to access it. I think it's so critical um, to really think about educational innovation and change over time from the perspective of the educators with the knowledge that it has to come from the bottom up. Educators are going to be the drivers of the movement. If educators don't want our model, our model will not exist. But as long as educators want our model, it will continue to grow. And the more educators that want it and the more educators that share it, the larger the movement will be. I always say, and I think you and I share this, like we get most excited when we hear about someone implementing our model without us knowing. Like you, you know, you had your call with these two teachers in Australia and it was like, oh my goodness, like these are two teachers we've never met in Australia. And I make it a point to have a conversation with a teacher a week and try to schedule a call with a teacher who reaches out to me or a teacher I reach out to directly to just hear about their experiences. And nothing gets me more fired up than finding out that there's a teacher in a district I've never heard of in a state that I've never been to who's just learned our model from a colleague or from our resource and, and is now implementing. Like That's a movement, right? Regardless of where we are, you and I, or the organization, people are going to be using our practices. And I think that's inspiring. And most of all, as you said, they're going to be making them better. And that to me is the most impressive part is like, we aren't actually anymore the brainchilds of growth of the organization. We are steering the ship and the educators are the folks that are actually the ones creating the coolest and innovative practices, which I think is just truly inspiring. And it's why I, I am so pumped to be leading the organization along your side day in, day out. I think it's great to be on this podcast with you. We talk all the time. What I want is in 10 years, someone is the superintendent of a school district somewhere and they ask one of us to go on their podcast and they say, well, the Modern Classrooms Project inspired me to do this. Nowadays, the Modern Classrooms Project is a bit old fashioned because actually we've found something that's way better, but it was you and I, Kareem, played some role in inspiring someone somewhere to do better for their students, for their school, their community. And that's, I think, what a teacher-driven movement can do that isn't going to come from a policymaker or a company. It's going to come from the bottom up. Yeah, 
That's exactly right. That's also very well said, right? Ultimately, like one day the Modern Classrooms Project won't be that innovative. And that hopefully will mean that someone else has taken what we've done and made it even better and done something different with it. And that's going to be really inspiring as well. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, if you could send one message to a teacher right now who's innovating, who might be innovating using our model, who's listening to our podcast um, and is thinking like, you know, teaching and learning is hard at the moment. Um, you know, I'm frustrated, but I think I'm arriving at some cool and innovative techniques. Like what's one message you would send them about the modern classrooms project or just creating innovation in the classroom, meeting students' needs? I think the first thing I would say is if you've found something good, share it with us, right? Because we want to, we, we want to share this with the world. But I think, I think the message I would give is that it's very challenging to, to find something that works because teaching is so hard. And even when you find something that works, it's still challenging. Maybe that day you came into my classroom, Kareem, I was relaxed. It was still hard. I still had a lot of really tough days because I was trying to do something that was so important and so challenging. So, um, you know, I, I, I really don't want people who are innovating to be discouraged. I want you to think, well, if something goes well, that's a small victory and that's something I can build on. Ultimately, the Modern Classrooms Project is just built on a series of small victories. And if something doesn't go well, that's something I can learn from to make to, to make it better. I think you mentioned earlier us having people who are critical of our model. And that, to me, has been so valuable to have people who are skeptical and to point out the ways in which it doesn't work because we can improve things by trial and error and refinement and, and talking with people. And so if, if someone is out there listening and thinking, well, I've tried it and it doesn't work, but I still believe in this philosophy, I would say just, just keep trying. You're going to find something that works and I hope you're going to write to tell us about it. You know, it's amazing in many ways. You, you took the words right out of, my, out of my mouth because I imagine some folks see the Modern Classrooms Project and think, you know, it's been such a smooth journey um, and you know, all the resources are available and it's such a cool model. And they might watch the Edutopia video and say, wow, that, that cl those classrooms look like they're going so well. But ultimately, the number of barriers that existed um, that would have stopped this organization from scaling, that would have stopped this model from spreading. The number of observations I had received initially where folks were highly skeptical, suggested maybe that we shouldn't do the model. Uh, we couldn't get access to technology in the classrooms. They were constant. And my biggest piece of advice to educators is to not let those realities stop them from innovating to the best of your ability. Don't get jaded by some of these old school constraints that make it difficult to try new things. You know, I think educators are often afraid to innovate because of some of the alternative pressures that they get each and every day to stay the course, to follow fixed pacing, to use traditional practices because they're afraid of their evaluation or they're afraid of the critiques that they might get. And I hope every educator out there knows that we received an endless stream of those critiques. And in many ways, you had taught me how to take those critiques and use them to my benefit and grow from them as opposed to let them sort of deflate me. Because ultimately, uh, no one's going to think anything's perfect in education. Every single model is going to have critics. You know, when we train teachers, we always tell educators to expect a group of students to hate it, a group of colleagues to hate it, a group of parents to hate it, and a group of administrators to hate it that you know. Expect it because it'll happen. But don't let that stop you 
from being an innovator because you might be studying on something amazing that's improving student outcomes or engagement or allowing you to meet students' needs um, far more effectively in a huge proportion of them. But because a few folks don't like it, it will you know scare people away. And um, that's a true inhibitor of innovation. And we need to make sure that, that doesn't happen. And then, like you said, please reach out to us. Like, we love to hear from you all. Listeners, folks experimenting with our model, I cannot stress this enough. Like, we love it when you all email us, drop a comment in one of our social media pages, direct message us, just write to us through our website. We are constantly looking to listen to you all as educators. So if you have something exciting and innovative, if you have an idea, just share it with us. I can't promise that Rob and I or our team is going to you know, immediately take it and put it in our work, but I can certainly promise that we'll consider it. It will lead to an email in our inbox where Rob and I will discuss what to do next. I can assure you that. And I'll make, I'll make one small pitch to people listening, which is that if you have an article you want to write, we will help you find a place to publish it. Because to me, that's one of my favorite things about this work is helping teachers share their own voices. And if you have something that's been useful for you, chances are it will be useful for other teachers. And so you can send it to us and we'll think if it's possible to feature as an example on our site or something, or you can just share it directly. And we we would love to help people share their voices with the world because you never know. You, you may write an article about something you're doing and someone in your building will see it that didn't know and you'll have a conversation or someone halfway across the world will see it and send you an email and you've inspired change in a, in a place you didn't know existed. So if there is something you want to share and you want to write an article, let us know because I would, I would love to make you a leader. I love that. And just a also endorsement of Rob. Rob is probably one of the best editors of, of any one I've ever met. I get to send every single one of the pieces that I write to Rob and he gives me unbelievable feedback. So I, when he says that, he's not kidding. Trust me. Um, please share your ideas. We will try to get them featured. We love to see them. We love to hear them. And they're the things that put the biggest smiles on our face every single day. I can assure you that. Now, um, before we close, I kind of want to give folks a little bit of an insight on what's coming down the pipeline. You know, Rob and I spend a lot of our time thinking about what's next, how we can inspire educators, and how can we push the movement forward. So I just wanted to share a little bit um, about some of the things that are coming ahead. The first is we're going to be starting to introduce a credential. It's called the Distinguished Modern Classrooms Educator Credential. The idea is we want to find all the educators across the country and the world that are doing our model, and we want to certify you. We want to feature on our website. We want to let the world know that you are doing our model and you're implementing it day in and day out. And with that Distinguished Modern Classrooms Educator credential, you will get an actual credential. We'll get some swag associated with it as well. You'll be featured on our website. And it also puts you in a pool of potential educators that can eventually become mentors. Um, you know, we talk a lot on this, or on this podcast about our mentors, the folks that are training educators through school and district partnerships. And the way that you do that is you first implement, you implement effectively. And the way that you show that to us is through the Distinguished Modern Classrooms Educator credential. And then from there, we can identify potential folks who might be candidates to mentor. And you are, at that stage, you'll get paid to actually train other educators across the country. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to share is we are preparing for a summer institute. Um, 
And the Summer Institute is going to be an opportunity where we hope to train a thousand or more educators all during the summer um, through our virtual mentorship program. So continue to be on the lookout for announcements around that. If you're a school or district leader or you're in a school or district and want to potentially have a partnership to fund a bunch of educators to come through our Summer Institute, certainly reach out to us. In addition to that, we will be pushing out surveys that allow you to request to be on a wait list. If you don't have funding to be able to fund your own journey through the program, your school or district can't. We are looking for philanthropists who are willing to fund educators through our Summer Institute as well. Um, So those are some of the big uh, and exciting next steps. We'll continue to keep you all updated. Don't forget, we have that engaged user survey that's out and available. It's on our website. It's on our social media channels. Take that survey. Let us know how you're implementing. It'll allow us to know if you're a potential candidate to become the Distinguished Modern Classrooms Educator Credential. Um, And it'll also allow you to state that you want to be on our wait list for the Summer Institute and future scholarship programs. Um, So those are some of the big things down the road. Um, We're very, very excited to share them uh, with you all. We're thrilled to continue to work with educators across the nation and the world. And Rob, it has been an absolute joy to kind of Take a step back, you and I, from our normal day-to-day work and just have a conversation about this organization um, from a little bit more of a macro level. So thanks for coming on the podcast with me today. It was wonderful chatting with you. Yeah, I've been in spreadsheets most of the day, so it's it's really a pleasure just to, to talk with you, Kareem, and also just to communicate to everyone listening how, how happy we are that we've created something that can help you and I feel like the Modern Classrooms Project is just getting started. I hope you feel that way too. I know I certainly do. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Remember, you can always access our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. We have our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. If you're interested in a partnership or going through a mentorship program, you can always check that out as well um, in our website and follow us on social media at Modern Class Proj. And I'm at Kareem Ferret 23. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back at it next week. Bye, everyone.